From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been uh, watching recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. This week, we are talking about the two usuals. We're going to mark the end of an era with the two usuals this the week. End. A 90s building under siege film where Billy Zane has never been sexier. Oh, I'm very excited. Truth. And in a shocking turn of events, <gasps> Mary Beth will be talking about a found footage movie. Gasp. I know. <laughs> Okay, but Terry, I want to hear about this Billy Zane sexy movie. Oh my gosh. Okay. I <laughs> I love music. I love music so much. Okay. I think above everything else, music is like my first love. Like I love it more okay. than more than movies. And I love oh, when really it's true. And wow. I love when a music can like just like instantly teleport me someplace and bring a smile to my face. So when I put this movie in and it starts and I hear dun 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 and it's the Tales from the Crypt theme <laughs> by Danny Elfman and it just like brings me so much joy and this movie brought me 
so much joy. It is Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight from 1995. Oh, my God. by uh, Ernest R. Dickerson, who cool. also directed Bones from 2001, I think it, it is, that I plan to watch next because I just was so enamored with his, his direction in this film. He's done a lot of TV work. Okay. He's directed like Bosch. He directed uh, – he's directed a, like 11 episodes of The Walking Dead. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Some some Treme, some Dexter, The Wire. I think he was most like he got like a lot of attention for his directorial stuff on The Wire. Oh, cool. But yeah, so this this movie is uh, I was not expecting a building under siege movie, but that is what this is. This it opens up with this car chase set to it's set to filter. Hey, man. Nice shot. Do you remember that song from the 90s? No. Hey, man, nice shot. Uh, I'm, I butchered that. I'm going to delete that part from the <laughs> it's, uh, it's so it's it's such a it's such a good song. It's such a good song. And it reminded me how much I miss 90s alternative music. I miss it. I miss it in movies. Miss- Wait, so Jada Pinkett Smith is in this movie too, right? She is. She is the final girl in this movie. She's the final girl, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About this demon named the Collector who's played oh, by Billy Zane. Oh, mm. Billy Zane in this mm. movie. Let me tell you, Billy he's just Zane. oozing sex appeal. And I just and camp. Sex appeal and camp. Who can pull that, oh my that God. shit off? And wow. he is chasing after this uh, guy named Breaker, who's played by William Sadler. Okay. And he is trying to get this artifact that contains. Uh, at one point, it contained the blood of Christ, and then <laughs> every, I don't know, generation or so, someone is in charge of this relic and ends up putting their own blood into it and refilling it, and so oh. it's continued throughout generation and he has this the collector's chasing after him he gets to this building and ends up pouring the blood on all of the passageways to enter the building to to seal it off because billy zane wants it and billy zane's gonna summon a bunch of goopy practical effects demons that pull themselves out of the ground in such fantastic practical effectory it's just, Ooh. it's so good. And then they all attack the building and it's basically them trying to stay alive till the next day. Whoa, I had no idea that's what that movie was. Me neither. Wow. Okay. Well, I knew I had to see it, but this makes me have to see it even more because that sounds absolutely radical. It is so good. And the effects, like, I, you know, I mean, I, we know, y'all know, I love good practical effects. I love practical effects more than anything else. And even mm-hmm. even when a practical effect might not live up to, like, you can see the seams maybe 20 or 30 years later, it never fails to give me a sense of wonder and whimsy. And the effects in this movie are just... Absolutely f- fantastic, and it's it's really funny. Campy nineties, yes, camp, so much camp, but also so much gore and so much goopery. I love it. Goopery, I it. that I like the goopery, <laughs> and a good cast. Yeah, it has an amazing cast. I'm and I first heard of it from the horror noir documentary, and it's been mm-hmm. on my list for a long time. I have no excuse why I haven't seen it yet because I, I know I'm going to love it. It's Jada Pinkett Smith as the final girl, and Billy Zane as the villain. Like, and Jada Pinkett Smith giving me like 
butch girl realness. Like she's just <gasps> her. Oh my god! Love I was her. gonna say like her entire vibe is very good. Love her. Billy Zane is giving me some like uh, coded queer realness, and I just I I love it. I love this movie so much. Oh my gosh! I am so upset that I have waited this long to see it. Well, I'm now upset I've waited this long to see it, too, but I'm going to watch <laughs> Now I'm looking at Billy Zane's um, filmography, and uh, he's hasn't been in a lot of good stuff in a while, huh? No. <laughs> no, he is not. That's okay. But I'll tell you what. Mm. <laughs> that man. It's true. He's very attractive. <laughs> Uh, but I want to also hear about your uh, found footage film. So I watched this found footage movie. It's called In Memoriam from 2005. And it is one of the very few found footage movies directed by a woman that I can mm. find. Um, it's directed by a woman named Amanda Gusek, Gusek, who has only directed two movies, this one and another called The Trade in 2008. And she hasn't made anything since which is a shame because In Memoriam is really good. So In Memoriam is found footage about a man who has been diagnosed with terminal bone cancer, and he, he and his girlfriend are going to this house where they can record a, basically a documentary of his final days. They are setting up surveillance cameras and microphones in this house to record, and they're not doing it in their apartment because they don't want all of their friends coming over constantly and like being annoying and grieving. And it's a really beautiful film about grief and confronting your mortality but on top of that there's a ghost in this house so the techniques it's using are things we see two years later in paranormal activity mm. but aren't really talked about and before mm. paranormal activity like this is all surveillance like cameras put around the house they aren't there's only a couple instances of when they pick up one of the cameras but it's usually it's static footage and it's like a fly on the wall similar to ghost watch from 1992 and so I just read about this movie, which is why I know all these facts. I feel very, very smart. <laughs> I think it's a super, super well done fun footage movie. Like the acting is a little bit rough, but I think the concept is great. I think this combination of like introspection, emotional horror that everyone seems to be obsessed with is seen in this movie, plus really good scares. And it's directed by a woman. And there's so many fun footage films out there. And there's like none directed by women. It's this one and then The Black Door, which I talked about a few mm -hmm. weeks ago. And Immemorium is e so much easier to find than The Black Door. This one is streaming on Amazon Prime. So you can oh. go watch it right now, which is great. Like, it can get like super good. There's access to it. So please go watch it because it's only an hour and 13 minutes long. I think it's really well done, especially for a 2005 found footage movie before there was the big boom in the genre. Right. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. I It's full of some cool twists and turns, and it's really effective. And more women need to be in the genre, I wish. I want. Well, the thing that kind of jumps out at me while you're talking about this is is sort of how it feels like that kind of horror is is resonant to today where we have seen mm -hmm. a lot of movies that take trauma or that take grief or that take horror or that, that kind of like horror of world well, of dying in this case and combine it with supernatural. Like that seems to be the way a lot of movies are now. So in, in some ways, like, I don't think you were seeing that as much in 2000, what, 2005, no. you said? Yeah, because, like, that's, like, torture porny era. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, that's kind of the area when it's a lot of gore. It's a little bit more, like, body horror, 
torture porn. It's not as much this kind of introspective, <laughs> elevated horror mm-hmm. that people have come to love in the past couple of years, like Hereditary and The Witch and all that stuff. Like, this is what people have been loving the past couple of years, but it was in 2005, directed by a woman. And that's gets me a little bit frustrated just because, like, she made Paranormal Activity before Paranormal Activity, but no right. one talks about it. Right. And so I'm talking about it because it deserves more attention. Hell yeah. And um, after you have listened to us and, and watched the movie, I know Mary Beth would never do this, but I'm going to. You should go check out <laughs> her article that is on a Patreon for We Are Horror that I believe is out today. You should go read that because it was yeah. a joy to read. Thanks. Yeah, you should. Mostly because I just want more people to watch these these found footage movies that are directed by you know, by women and who, mm-hmm. you know, it's a very white male genre. And as much as mm-hmm. I love it, I would love to see that shift and I'd love to help that shift. I don't know how, but one day I will figure it out. So one yes. day when we've made billions of dollars from podcasting yes. and we mm-hmm. could be like Adam Devine and just hire someone mm-hmm. to edit our stuff, maybe we can <laughs> start a found footage studio. <laughs> All those ad deals we get. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my soapbox aside. Well, I do have a request for you, Mary Beth. Okay. I want you to carry a camera around with you at all times so that in case something ever were to happen to you, you could hopefully take a picture of your eye and we could like, I don't know, figure out who killed you. Oh. I I don't want to like put you in like, I don't want to like put you in like a situation where you're dead. But at the same time, I want to be prepared so that we can solve your murder very carefully I, and very quickly. Thank you. I appreciate the thought. I'm just looking out for you, Mary Beth. I really appreciate you. <laughs> so guys, four flies. We four flies. <laughs> on gray, gray velvet. velvet. The third in the Dario Argento animal trilogy. Best one of the trilogy, in my opinion. I was going to say the same thing. Like, I know Crystal Plumage gets a lot of love and it's it's... It's a great. I think it's a good film. I think it's a great debut film because you can see oh, how yeah. assured he is. But I don't know. There's something about this film that I really connected to. What about you? I agree 100. percent I liked as I was watching it. it I I was thinking I like this plot a lot more. I think it is a little bit more complex and it's a little more engaging in terms of the killer and the plot and kind of the ending as well. It feels a little bit different from what we had seen in the previous two films. So this felt like it was almost like, uh, did this, did he make all three of them in succession? Do you remember off the top of your head? Yes. So this one feels like he's really getting his footing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like this feels like he's got it. He's like, okay, I know what I'm doing in Giallo. And then it goes from there. So this is the one where it feels like Argento has become a self, like a very self-assured, not that he wasn't before, but this one feels like he has his footing immediately it much better and so that's kind of where i saw it but more focused in that in that regard kind of going off of what you said th- first three films of his were was this animal trilogy and it would they came out between 1970 and 1971 three films in the span oh, of wow. those two years that's pretty awesome and on some of the covers it says they'll all about it's um his lost yellow masterpiece yeah, I don't think it's as as well known or as well seen as a lot of his films. Which is interesting because I I find it one of my actually might be one of my favorites of his that we've watched. I think it's 
I think from the ending specifically and like the much more mm. melancholy ending than what we've seen in his other oh, movies. It's, sad. it's so sad. So I think I was much more drawn into kind of like what he was navigating with his ending in this one. It was a little it felt a little bit more different than like, oh bad guy kill, but a little bit more like oh fuck, like this is not as cut and cut and dry as you might think. I really wish um I did a, a brief search and I really wished I could find some writing on this from non-binary or trans people because Mm -hmm. the ending kind of digs into sort of body dysmorphia in some ways. And I would say that this is probably the queerest of um, Argento's films. Uh, Mm -hmm. A friend of the show, um, Drew, AKA Sister Hyde. uh, This is like, I think this is one of her favorites of um, Argento's. And I I did have some tweets from her um, back from 2020 where she was talking about the queer representation in his animal trilogy and how queerness Mm -hmm. is very vital to Argento's filmography. And she was talking about the amazing queer gender presentations behind the twist to to two of the films in animal, in the animal trilogy, this one being one of them. Mm Mm-hmm. She goes on to talk about Mimsy Farmer, who plays. I mean, uh, we're just gonna spoil. I'm sorry. This movie yeah, is. Yeah. Okay. I was. I was trying to figure out. I was like, I don't want to spoil it, but also it's kind of hard. <laughs> yeah, it's true. At okay, this point, point, I mean, this movie is what fifty years it. old. Skip ahead. Yeah, I and I, and I honestly don't think that it really matters too much in terms of yeah, that's this true. film in a way. But mm-hmm. so Mimsy Farmer is um, she's Drew talks about how Mimsy Farmer, the char- her character is experiencing gender dys- dys- dysphoria in Four Flies, and she finds it bizarrely touching and affecting. Mm-hmm. I would as well, because it kind of is all about toxicity and people mm-hmm. trying to impress their idea of gender onto this woman and the effects mm-hmm. that it, it gives because it literally drove her crazy. And again, how toxic masculinity mm-hmm. caused that and how her father always wanted a boy. So she was forced to dress as a boy and uh, present herself as a boy and was also abused for that. And it's very it's so it's like the reveal of that is so upsetting because you're almost like you want her to live. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I most of the time I was like, oh, yeah, this person fucked up. And it's in this one. You're like, oh, my God, like she's she is suffering. Like mm-hmm. she has dealt with so much shit and like this violence is her trying to process her trauma and like trying to get revenge on those who forced her Mm. into a box that she didn't feel comfortable in. Mm. And I was like, this is fucking sad. Like, this is the saddest giallo we've watched. And the end, like the final scene where, um, Mm. you know, she gets her, you know, the comeuppance that the villain gets. It's just, it's tragic. It feels much more tragic than anything we've seen. It's very affecting. And you're right. I think the ending of this is more of about, it's it's almost like a, the 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 idea of the Greek tragedy. It is almost like you've, mm-hmm. it's a tragic ending where it is it is framed in such that the music is sad, the music is melancholy. It's not like it's not like the ending in the last movie where someone's plunging down a flight of a, 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 an elevator shaft. You know, it's not right. It's not played for shock and it, and that kind of stuff. It's actually just this really deeply affecting and tragic tragic death that happens at the end. Well, exactly. And I feel like a lot of the time, you know, in horror in general, like, yay, we got the killer. Like, this, like it has been solved. Hooray. And here it's almost like, fuck. Like, we found the killer, but you almost like you don't want anything bad to happen to them because you almost feel like they're they're a product of mm-hmm. 
a larger societal issue. Mm-hmm. And I will pr- I will applaud Argento though because we talked about queerness the most of his movies, and he really does incorporate queerness and like gender identity stuff into his films a lot. Yeah, which and this is I think one of the most like this is the one that is the most obvious, but. Well, and even like one of the main characters is is a is a gay private detective, and the first yeah, line exactly. is like, "Oh, you think this fairy is going to scream bloody murder?" And yeah. then he's like, and, "And you know, he's he's very you know stereotypical. Like he's very fey. He's very over the top and boisterous." And he, one of his lines that I just love is, "Oh, you heterosexuals!" Like it's just yes, it's I love just, him. Oh, it's so good. And like again, he's not really made fun of. Like it's obviously like a an exaggerated portrayal of a gay man but at the same time it's not like he's not called names like he's shown flirting and he's like similar to the character was it in um fuck the painter the guy who was selling the painting in that one movie oh that was the bird with the crystal plumage that was yeah it's like Mm -hmm. similar to that character and like they're queer but they're queer characters and it's not like necessarily a mocking point or right or like dr braun in the last movie that's at the the gay club and it's just this is another part of life hey terry can you write an article about queerness in the animal (laughs) trilogy of argento because i want to but i'm not a gay man and i would rather have someone who's a gay man write it than rather than me i do kind of want to talk about how this like write about how this movie sexualizes the male body in in a way that most movies of this time we're doing to women because this right this main character man is just sexualized like beefcake and he's constantly shirtless and people are constantly touching him and he's like constantly being he's he's being fondled by everyone he is he is basically the kind of sultry at the center of this of this movie that is typically reserved for the sort of like sexy women in this in these types of movies and he is just he he's a he's a he's a sex icon in this movie. He is, and also like there are pretty women in this, but they're not as much as the focus. Like there's some titties in it, obviously, but like yeah. again, there isn't like this one sexualized like sexy woman character. Like he's both of them, which is a fascinating thing to think about. Where he is both like the strong male detective and also kind of like the sexualized being that supports that male detective, which puts a whole other spin on like this kind of non-binary reading of the film yeah there's a sex scene in a, in a bathtub but it starts with a woman massaging his neck and like yeah almost to the point of like strangling like she's gonna strangle him like it is this very domination submission type role where she actually gets on top of him in the bathtub so like she is mm-hmm. totally in control and he is basically her plaything at one point yeah well and especially because he's like i don't want to take a bath and then it cu- the next scene cuts to him sitting in the bath and it's like <laughs> he's almost inf- he's like infantilized a little bit but like he's like enjoying it like she's yeah. telling him what to do yeah so it is really interesting. Argento. Queer ally. Hats off to you, dude. Hats Working off. in the 70s, early 70s. Love it. Mary Beth, can we take <laughs> our final question mark, hopefully, wrong turn, down into Appalachia, <laughs> and meet the foundation in the 2021 fantastic film wrong turn i want to know what your thoughts are wow i had a blast right i had a fucking blast with this movie 
just like as like my very short review is I did not have high expectations. You've heard us watch the wrong turn series. Obviously, I'm not the target demographic for the franchise. That's fine. This was so much more my speed. Mm. So much more my vibe. It is by no means perfect. There are some issues. Oh, it is a messy film. It's messy. Oh, it's messy. But it's such a fun mess. Yes. I I think that this Mike P. Nelson's twist and adaptation of Wrong Turn for 2021 is spot on. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. So if if you haven't if you haven't watched it yet, here's the thing: it's ten bucks to go buy. I think it's like five or six bucks to go rent um, digitally right now, and I mean, you're getting like three movies for the price of one with this film. <laughs> it's almost two hours long, and it's three it's three different stories. At least. At I mean. least. <laughs> like we said, not perfect, definitely a mess, but fun nonetheless. Well, and so the first the first hour feels sort of like a condensed version of the wrong turn movies you are expecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if if you thought this, but I thought it was so perfectly paced from the moment the movie started up until like the first big twist. I thought yeah. the tension in this and the the way it is filmed was just perfect. Well, and it's beautiful. It's beautifully filmed. Like yeah. it's very like lush, beautiful forest. You kind of get that sense of it being humongous and it's a little scary, but also gorgeous. The performances aren't bad. Like it's a pretty good chemistry between this group of six people. And, you know, it doesn't feel it's got like a little bit of that, like, wrong turn cheese, but not enough to be like, eye rolly. You know what I mean? Like, the violence pops off immediately, too. Like, they go for the hike, and it pops off. Like, they don't they don't waste time, which I love. Like, it just goes and it starts and it it does feel like it feels like a a wrong turn movie. And then at 45 minutes, you're like, wait, you have already hit all the beats. Like, what's going to happen next? And that's when it gets bananagrams and shifts into like a whole different movie but yeah the first hour is beautifully paced it's definitely and the vi- don't worry the violence is still just as good and gross oh it is and- it is it is gory and it has some face gory. trauma that i think gives uh midsummer a little bit of a run like i, I think oh, midsummer is probably yeah. better but it definitely is trying to uh eclipse midsummer in amount of like oh pain mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but i love the score the score is by mm, yeah. a man named Stephen uh, Lu- oh, gosh, Lukach, L-U-K-A-C-H. But it is the right amount of foreboding. It it picks up in the right places. There's t- some twinges of like violins that really like zing when there's action mm-hmm. happening. I think the score to this movie is is phenomenal. It really worked for me. I actually didn't pay a lot of attention to the score, which is terrible of me, but. I think I also just never expected a wrong turn movie to have a good score, which is terrible. Well, I think I think the reason why is because you might not have been paying attention to it is that it is so perfectly in line with the action that it feels mm, it feels like natural. Like, yes. And okay. I mean, I've I've watched this twice now. I've spent four hours watching this. So on the second time, I was able to pick up a lot more. Oh, uh, that makes sense. I've only and I will say that the second watch, like the problems that I had watching it the first time, sort of a lot of them faded away. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I still don't think it's, it's, listen, it is a mess. It is a messy movie. <laughs> it is trying to do way too much and it doesn't pull off everything. I think the politics of it are confused. Oh, uh, yes. But the way this movie ends, <laughs> I, we're not going to talk about the ending, but I just want to say I... <laughs> the way this movie ends, 
is ridiculous in the best way possible. And the movie refuses to end. Again, this is not a spoiler, but like the credits start rolling and things are still happening. Here's the thing. It forces you to watch it until the very end of the credits because it, it this is does. a movie that literally once it starts until the last second of the movie isn't a movie. So even when the credits are going, it is still playing yep. up until the very last moment. Yep. It's wild. It's wild. Important to note here that they, it's not, you, if you are expecting the Hilliker brothers, you are not getting You're Hilliker not gonna brothers. Get it. No. There are no inbred hillbilly cannibals, which I, for one, was happy about. So instead, it's the foundation. It's a village of families who, in the 1800s, decided to move into the woods and kind of make their own little paradise where they'd be cut off from the rest of the world. Pre-Civil so, War. Pre-like... Pre-Civil so, War. Yeah. And that's like a point in it, is that this is not the... It, it's it's taking the idea of like the, the movies have presented uh, the kind of hillbilly backwardsness, but it's taking it mm-hmm. like... It's making a point that this is pre that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so it is... It's interesting in that regard, because I'm glad it kind of removes that weird like socioeconomic assumptions about people who live in the rural communities being hillbillies and ancestral like it is nice that i I was glad in 2021 we have decided to move (laughs) away from that assumption like that is good and glad i'm glad to see it the problem is though that this movie tries really hard to be woke in a lot of places that it's kind of annoying Mm. like a lot of what they do i respect like in terms of like changing like having more people of color in the cast and like it's not a big deal having a gay couple in the cast it's not like a big thing but i think some of the politics they're trying really hard to like hammer in i think a little too hard and i think it wants to make it it tries a little bit too hard to make its point and mm. its point being in like different political things about like generational gaps and good versus evil and like autonomy i don't know i think there's just a lot going on that this film like didn't really want to focus on one thing no and i there is a moment where the 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 story kind of stops moving and goes to follow a different character for a bit and if i have one complaint it's that i really wish they had actually excised that entire bit and just Mm -hmm. focused more on our characters that we've been following from the first from the very first opening moments yeah, I agree. I thought that was like... Because some of the problems that I have in the last half of it are more about the way that we don't really get to know about the foundation. Yeah, and I feel like they shoehorn in this relationship between a character, like two characters, the the lead girl and her dad, when it doesn't really feel that important. No. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't feel... it. That could have cut out like 30 minutes of the movie. Yeah. In a good way. Or they could have spent that 30 minutes actually explaining a little bit more about the situation that they're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So like we said, it's definitely not perfect, but it's really fun. I had a great time. Like no matter how many times I was like, the fuck is happening? I was like, this is actually still kind of a blast. And I will tell you, listeners, that you want someone like Mary Beth that is texting you while they're watching <laughs> movies because I was rolling. And there were times where she's like, what the fuck? And I'm like... I don't know what moment Which we're at part? now because there's so many what the fuck moments in this. And so I will also tell you that Terry told me the entire plot of this movie. I asked yeah. him to tell me the entire plot because I was we were I like it was before we like got a screener. I got a screener and I still was like absolutely fucking shocked. Like it is a movie <laughs> that must seen must be seen to be believed and like mm. the ambitious twist this thing takes. Not all of them are, are like 
effective, but you I you cannot help but like applaud the ambition. Like this was a yeah. like Mike P. Nelson was like, I'm not fucking around here. And I'm like, no. you know what? If you're gonna if you're gonna reboot wrong turn in twenty twenty one, I appreciate the energy that you brought to it and what you were doing. And that is what matters because goddamn the energy in the last like the last like four films of that franchise was just so <laughs> shitty. So it's just nice to see someone who actually is like, oh, I'm not just doing this to be na- like to make something nasty and like shocking. I'm actually like caring a little bit more about the film as much yeah. as you can about a wrong turn movie. Like I get, I know what it is, but still. No, I, the last two films that we've seen in this, it's almost as if people didn't care. It was just trying to make a quick buck out of it. I'm going to be perfectly honest. I, they, they just, oh, yeah. they did not feel like anyone was trying to bring anything new to, to the saga. No. To see this come out and just come gun blazes, guns blazing and just really, telling a fucking wild story that in some way takes something from most of the original six films in a way there are like ties that you could see to these films, even if they might Mm. be subtle and somehow creates an amalgamation of what wrong turn is without having cannibal hillbillies. And that's so funny because I initially texted Terry. I was like, this is not a wrong turn movie. But the more I thought about it and the more I wrote in my review for it, I was like, fuck, wait, this is a wrong turn movie. Mm -hmm. It's just done better. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, friends, if wrong turn, but like I think that this like was a better execution for most like the obviously like, the first two I know everyone loves, but like I think this was about a good execution for that that concept, and I think it still had the same impact. So, what would your ranking be? Um, to include this okay, one. Hold on. So, okay, everybody, I'm gonna be I'm gonna go out on a crazy ass limb here and say that seven is actually my favorite. Okay. Um, then followed by one, four. Three, two, six, five. Because the third, okay, the, the fourth one was in the snow. Mm-hmm. The third one was the prisoners. Mm-hmm. The second one was the shit ghost. I, sw- I swear to God, <laughs> I will never think of two of anything other than the shit ghost. That, that, I don't know why that line fucked with me so much, but here we are, everybody. I don't know. So, I yeah, that's- don't disagree with your ranking at all. Oh um, in fact, I, I think mine is the same. I might, I might be, I might be convinced to swap three and two and make it seven, one, four, two, and three. Because the more I think about three, the more problematic a lot of it is to me. Although I think it looks, see, my problem with two is that two doesn't look good. It definitely has that shot on video, direct to video type look to it. Whereas the rest Mm -hmm. of them at least look like they were trying to make a film. And the characters were so insufferable. I was thinking a lot about too, and how I want to. I did want to bump it up a little bit more because, like, in just literally just me thinking about like the family at the end and like their violence, I liked them as like a collective for the series. Like, I thought that ending with them, like in the meat grinder, like I thought all that was really fun and mm-hmm. cool. And like, there were some fun parts throughout it, but the god, the characters were so fucking. They're so insufferable. insufferable. I couldn't handle our final girl. I wanted to. <laughs> No, I, I couldn't wanted her either. to go. I was so over it. But I think I'm with you in switching three and two. I have I've spent too much time thinking about this. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing how much time I've spent thinking about my <laughs> ranking. It's not as much as I'm making it sound like, but like an hour or two. Like that's probably way more than anyone has ever thought about their ranking of the wrong, <laughs> wrong turn franchise. I know. Yeah, so I, I think that I think that might be the official uh, scarred for life ranking for this seven, one, four, 
two or three. I think two. Yeah, two. Three, three. six, and then, like, on the opposite side of the world, maybe over in Bulgaria where they shot, will be five. Like, five is just, I don't ever want to think about five again. Speaking of films that we never will cover on the podcast, um, Wrong Turn 5. Never come to me and tell me that you want to talk about Wrong Turn 5, because I will no. laugh in your face. <laughs> no, I never I never I want never... to visit that film again. There was <laughs> no. nothing, not for me, there was nothing redeemable about that film. Except Literally nothing. Okay, except I still get a chuckle, a dark chuckle, out of them breaking the person's legs to the okay working yes. on the railroad. I agree with that you. That is haunting my 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 thoughts and has since I saw it. <gasps> I'll be working on the railroad and just crunch. I, that ah! was that. <laughs> that was hysterical. Again, feel bad for saying it, but God, it was funny. Yeah, we did that's it. The wrong Terry. turn. We did. We made it through wrong turn, oh. and now we oh. never have to deal with it again. Oh. Yes. We did it so you don't have to. Thank you. Exactly. I, I might want to revisit the 2021 movie, though. Like, Yeah, I actually might want to show that to people. Yeah. But it's our, our if, choice. <laughs> if we get canceled, Terry, at least we get canceled together, holding hands and <laughs> bravely facing up against the crowd. There we go. If we get canceled over wrong turn, I would die. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh my god, it'd be like really? Out of everything? Out of everything. (laughs) This movie wrong turn wrong turn is what gets us canceled. But I mean people might be a little bit happier if we're bumping two up a little bit. I think most people think two is the best of the series, which I don't, but no. But you know, I respect your opinion, I guess. (laughs) Right, exactly. But we did. We did. Cool. We're done with wrong turn. Huh. Yay. We did it. I I guess I'm glad for it, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean Yeah. Thanks everyone for supporting this journey. <laughs> <laughs> um so we're done with wrong turn and we're done with Giallo. It's like the end of an era, a mini era on the Scarred for Life podcast. Yeah. Little cuts. <laughs> but um Terry what are we talking about next instead of Giallo? What is our next focus? So our next focus for Little Cuts, I think we are going to start talking about Hammer Horror because it is a mutual blind spot for both of us. Ah, I'm so excited. I am too. I, oh, this is going to be so fun, especially because it's both like it's a blind spot for both of us. So we can like experience it together mm-hmm. i'm very excited but we are going to start with one that i i have seen but it has been mm, 32 years if not more since i've seen it uh we're gonna watch horror of dracula which a lot of people on twitter mm. today when when i asked what your favorite hammer horror was this one came up a lot and i agree i i'm curious to revisit it after 32 years ish because I remember it being my favorite of the the Dracula films. Cool. And I have not seen it, and I have wanted to, so yay. And then we're just going to zoom down through this journey and go visit maybe some of the ones that people have posted on Twitter as being their favorites. We Mm -hmm. don't know. We'll just sort of go through (laughs) it and see where we end up. Yeah. So if you have any suggestions, let us know. Please do let us know. And then, Terry, who are we talking to on Monday? On Monday, we are incredibly excited to chat with Keith Thomas, the director of the Jewish horror film The Vigil. Woo! 
which is out today. So you should watch it. It is. It is out today. Go watch it. It is scary. It's so scary, I think. It has mm-hmm. some really good jump scare moments that are earned. I know jump scare is sometimes a four-letter word, but it, they're earned jump scares. And it's so good. So good. But we're also talking about a movie we've talked about on Little Cuts. What are we talking <gasps> about, Mary Beth? We're and talking about Phenomena, <laughs> Dario Argento's Phenomena, which is so exciting. We covered it on Little Cuts and only talked about it for a little bit. And now mm-hmm. we have the opportunity to dive super deep into it which is so exciting. So you get to hear us talk about razor wielding chimps and a bug control or a bug telepathic bug friend, bug friend to bugs, Jennifer Connelly. There we go. I got there. I figured it out. I'm telling you, this is an ending that if you have listeners, if you have not seen this movie, I would make sure to watch it before you listen to our episode, because the ending of this film is bat shit bananas and i really would love for you to experience it before we talk about it it's like a top five ending of a movie of all time it really is it's so i think it's a top five movie vulture did not put it on their top 101 endings of all time but it's on mine (laughs) yeah so get excited y'all because it's a really fun conversation Mm-hmm. So everybody, you have heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Did have you seen a film that we watched this week and have some thoughts? Do you have suggestions for Hammer Horror that we can't miss out on? Uh, you can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail dot com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at mb mcandrews, and I'm at gaily dreadful. And of course, make sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at scarred podcast. And don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>